welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Guys, we are both very excited to do this episode. Landon and I are wrestling fanatics, so we are constantly watching Raw and SmackDown and every single pay-per-view. We love the good, the bad, and the ugly. One day, one day, we will do a full WWE episode, maybe a few, but today this episode was won by our Facebook group called the Freaked Out Podcast Group. Woohoo! So thank you guys, because we got to 4,000 members, this episode gets to be dropped today. Which definitely makes sense since it is for the podcast. (laughs) The next episode will be at the 6,000 member mark. We will be covering Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo's victims. They are also known as the Ken and Barbie killers. And uh, for those of you who do not know, they are pretty crazy. So should be a good one. And I haven't seen anyone connect to those victims as of yet, at least on my end. All right, let's get right into it. Chris Benoit was born in Montreal, Quebec, the son of Michael and Margaret Benoit. He grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. From there, he was billed throughout the bulk of his career. He had his sister also living close by near Edmonton. During his childhood and early adolescence in Edmonton, Benoit idolized Tom Dynamite Kid Billington and Bret Hart. At 12 years old, he attended a local wrestling event at which the two performers stood out above everyone else. Benoit trained to become a professional wrestler in the Hart family dungeon. During the first WWF draft, he was the third wrestler picked by Vince McMahon to be part of the new SmackDown roster. Apparently, Chris was injured at the time, but Vince had seen something in him and wanted to bring him aboard. I mean, I would agree. He had some pretty hefty talent and he was willing to take a punch pretty well. Chris included a wide array of submission holds in his moveset and used a crossface, dubbed the Crippler crossface, and the sharpshooter as finishers. He also used a diving headbutt to finish off opponents. The diving headbutt, which saw the delivery leap off the top rope and landed headfirst onto the opponent, was partially to blame for the head trauma that caused Chris Benoit to commit his crimes. Another of Chris's trademark moves was the three rolling German suplexes. This move would later on be mimicked by multiple other wrestlers, including Brock Lesnar, who uses it as Suplex City. Chris was renowned for his high-impact technical style, and former WWE rival Kurt Angle said in a 2017 interview that he has got to be in the top three of all time. He was, without a doubt, a great wrestler and put his all into it. He worked harder than anyone else, and he felt like he really had to. Benoit spoke both English and French fluently. He married twice. He had two children, David and Megan, with his first wife, Martina. By 1997, that marriage had broken down, and then Benoit began to live with Nancy Sullivan. On February 25th, 2000, Chris and Nancy's son, Daniel, was born. On November 23rd of 2000, Chris and Nancy got married. It was Nancy's third marriage. In 2003, Nancy filed for divorce from Chris, citing the marriage as irreversibly broken and alleging cruel treatment. 
She claimed that he would break and throw furniture all around the house. She later dropped the suit as well as the restraining order that she had filed. He ended up becoming good friends with the fellow wrestler Eddie Guerrero following a match in Japan when Benoit kicked Guerrero in the head and knocked him out cold. This started a friendship that lasted even after Guerrero's death in 2005, which Benoit had written diary entries to him just 10 days after his passing. Benoit was also close friends with Dean Malenko as the trio traveled from promotion to promotion together, putting on matches, eventually being dubbed the Three Amigos by the commentators. According to Benoit, the crippler crossface was borrowed from Malenko and eventually caught on as Benoit's signature hold. On June 25, 2007, police entered Benoit's home in Fayetteville, Georgia, when the WWE employer had requested a welfare check after Chris had missed weekend events without notice, and it became very concerning. The officers discovered the bodies of Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their seven-year-old son Daniel at around 2.30 p.m. Upon investigating, no additional suspects were sought out by authorities. It was determined that Benoit had committed the murders. Over a three-day period, Benoit had killed his wife, his son, and then taking his own life in suicide. His wife was bound before the killing. Benoit's son was drugged with Xanax and likely unconscious before Benoit strangled him. Benoit then committed suicide by hanging himself on his lat pull-down machine. WWE canceled the scheduled three-hour live Raw show on June 25th and replaced the broadcast version with a three-hour tribute to his life, career, and featuring his past matches, segments, and hard knocks, the Chris Benoit Story DVD, and comments, of course, from the wrestlers and announcers. Toxicology reports were released on July 17th of 2007. They revealed that at their time of death, Nancy had three different drugs in her system. She had Xanax, hydrocodone, and hydromorphine, all of which were found at the therapeutic rather than the toxic levels. Daniel was found to have Xanax in his system, which led the chief medical examiner to believe that he was sedated before he was murdered. Benoit was found to also have Xanax, hydrocodone, and elevated levels of testosterone caused by a synthetic form of the hormone in his system. So like steroids? Most likely. The chief medical examiner attributed the testosterone level to Benoit possibly being treated for a deficiency caused by a previous steroid abuse or testicular insufficiencies. There was no indication that anything in Benoit's body contributed to his violent behavior that led to the murder-suicide, concluding that there was no roid rage involved. Prior to the murder-suicide, Benoit had illegally been given medication not in compliance with the WWE Talents Wellness Program in February of 2006, including Nandroloin, an antibiotic steroid, and anastrozol, a breast cancer medication, which is used by bodybuilders for its powerful effects. Now, during this investigation into the steroid abuse, it was revealed that other wrestlers had also been given these steroids. After the double murder-suicide, former wrestler Christopher Nowinski contacted Michael Benoit 
Chris's father suggested that years of trauma to his son's brain may have led to his actions. Tests were conducted on Benoit's brain by the head of neurosurgery at West Virginia University. The results showed that Benoit's brain was so severely damaged, it resembled a brain of an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. That is insane. He was reported to have had an advanced form of dementia, similar to the brains of four retired NFL players who had suffered multiple concussions. They sank into depression and harmed themselves or others. Friends and his colleagues concluded that repeated concussions can lead to dementia, which can contribute to severe behavioral problems later on. Benoit's father suggested that brain damage may have been the leading cause of his crimes. Once the details of Benoit's actions became apparent, WWE made the decision to remove nearly all mentions of Benoit from their website, from future broadcasts, and all publications. According to a former co-worker he was talking to, he had called him and told him that he wasn't going with him and that Nancy and Daniel had the flu and he needed to take care of them. According to his friends and people close to Benoit, at 3.53 a.m., they received a text message that said, My physical address is 130 Green Meadow Lane in Fayette, Georgia, 30215. Then again, in the same minute, he also sent another message, and this being from his phone, the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Garage side door is open. So guys, today Liz is going to talk to Nancy and Chris. She will talk about Daniel, but Daniel will not be answering any questions here tonight. A lot of people like to ask why, and in this case, his parents prefer him not to. There is a lot of very confusing issues. Yes, exactly. I am trying to figure out who to speak to first. I think I'm going to go with Chris, and then Nancy will fill in her ends of the story as we discuss them. All right, let's talk to Chris. We know that he worked hard, and he put all of his efforts into his work even when he knew that he would be missing out on his children's lives, and also giving them the time that he felt that he would need to make up later with them. Plus, all three of his kids thought that their dad was a superhero, and getting to see them on the TV was very special. All three kids were super accepting of their dad's schedule and understood that they wouldn't be able to spend every moment together. Chris said that he had always brought his kids home something when he was out on the road and would try his hardest to spend the time he did have home with them as much as he possibly could. And Nancy agrees he did in fact do that. When he did have the time, he would give his kids all his time. She said that this was one of the reasons she fell in love with him because of how involved he was with his first two children. She also wants to point out as well that this started to progressively get worse right before he passed on and he stopped being so involved. Leading up to their tragic deaths, there were rumors that the two of them were having marital issues. What do they say about this? Chris shows me that they had a few issues when it came to their marriage, mostly about things that may have been out of their control, not being home enough, not being able to give her all his attention. He said that he always wanted to push his body as hard as he could, as long as he could, and he wasn't taking his health issues seriously enough either. He said that it was pretty common to fight between the two of them in relation to business. Nancy also felt worried that maybe someone else had caught his eye out there and perhaps may have brought that up from time to time as a concern about him being involved with somebody else. A lot of the wives of the WWE would talk and rumors would kind of come up and of course she would hear about it and then later worry. But from the sounds of it, he didn't really have much focus on that at the moment. 
He was friendly with other females in the business, but it was all in fun and nothing came of it. Nancy said her issues all stemmed from her loneliness and insecurities, and she put a lot of that on him. She also wanted to point out as well that the issues with him becoming more aggressive and throwing things started to scare her too. What was he avoiding with his health? Chris shows me he was suffering from migraines and he did have some head trauma from the past causing a lot of that. And instead of dealing with it, he would just keep pushing through it. He would have moments where he would black out and become enraged. He would get mad for no reason and not even remember getting mad. He said these episodes were getting worse. Nancy explains it a little better. She said that these moments happened often. She said that everything would be fine and normal and she would talk to him on the phone and he would be pissed, extra mad about how a match went or even small talk. And he'd get really angry and she would have to calm him down or at least try. She said that she would talk to him the next day and he wouldn't remember anything about what happened on the conversation they had prior. Did things progress for him with this? Chris says it did. More blackouts and longer blackouts were happening. He said that there was a time that he got physical with Nancy and he said that he didn't even remember doing it. But he had marks on her body and he shows me her arms and her neck had marks on it because he choked her. As soon as he came back from being in that blackout state, he had no idea what had gone on. Now, Nancy said that he started talking about them and they when he would talk about anything with her in those manic moments. He would get into these little rages. She claimed that a lot of the time she didn't understand what the heck he was talking about and she would just let him ramble on knowing he wasn't well and trying to encourage him when he was lucid to get help. She was doing something. She doesn't show me what exactly. She just shows me that he thought it was sacrilegious and he told her to stop or she would have to pay and she said that that rage, he was becoming more concerning. She said that she felt like the pretending that the rages weren't really going on often. She started to look into it because it started to become maddening to her. And in his lucid moments, she would fill him in and he would genuinely be scared of what she would say. How long was this going on for? I feel like it was a span over a couple of years, like two, three years. At the end of it getting progressively worse, of course. They obviously had no idea what this was or what happened with these blackouts. Pretty much. Nancy was a pretty smart woman and she started to look into these things from what I can see. I see she had talked to a few people about it, more so professionals, like medical opinions from the sounds of it. Chris didn't want the WWE to get a heads up and he wanted to handle it privately, so they started to look into options. However, nothing solid yet. He shows me he kept putting it off because he was busy with work and he didn't want to cause any issues for concern and make them feel like he was hiding something. So he also admits that he had these blackouts at work quite often. Did they happen during a match? Yes, during matches, his vision sometimes was blurred too. He would just keep on focusing on what was right in front of him and everyone else would ask him if he was okay. He would play it off like he was. He said he got good at pushing through even the hardest hits, making him really messed up for a while too. Things were getting harder and he just really was running on fumes. He also shows me that if he didn't die this way, he would have died from this situation one way or another fairly soon. Did he have a bit of a temper? He and Nancy both said that he did have one, but it was a level of control and would walk away when he got heated. But ever since the last few years of his life, not so much. He lost it over everything. 
including things about religion. I had seen that on the dark side of the ring. From what Chris and Nancy said, they were religious people in the sense of believing in God and having a relationship with God, but it wasn't anything over the top. There was no cult-like resemblance in any way. So can you tell us what happened in this very disturbing weekend? I don't know all of what went on because they are trying to focus on the main parts of it. And some of these things are pretty hard to swallow. Which is definitely understandable. I'm sure we all can understand that. So she will give me as much as she can give me here. So she shows me that this weekend he was off and cold from the moment it began. And he had started talking about this religious belief again and how she needed to be righteous. I feel like he was very aggressive with it. And I feel like she had made a statement on how Daniel was home and not now and not the time to talk about it and that he will scare Daniel. Now, here's what he's telling me. He remembers very little about these events before he died. And that even now, not all the details are clear because so much has happened in a short period of time. But as soon as she had said that, it was like something snapped. He also called her and Daniel by different names. I feel like he kept on calling Daniel David and talking about the cross and the Bible and that he believed he would go to hell. I even feel like he went as far as giving his son a bath and saying he was baptized. I believe his son went into the bath hesitantly and confused, but he did. And then he ended up eventually going to bed. Now, Nancy shows me while this was all going on, she was trying to find ways to call out to somebody, but he made her go with him to the washroom. He stole her phone from her, telling her that she isn't allowed to use it. I feel like he put it somewhere and told her that if she touched it, her lying ass would get Daniel killed. She instantly went into a submissive role. Wow, of course. So she was definitely scared for her son, for herself, and even Chris, because this was definitely not like him. Definitely not. She said that she would notice when his manic moments would happen, like she would get that indicator. And from what she shows me, that he dragged her around the house by the hair, making her pray at every certain area in the house. And Daniel kept on feeling like something was wrong since this wasn't normal. They were pretty loud and noisy. And he would keep coming out of his bedroom. And from what Nancy shows me, she was trying to get her son to put something on for himself to kind of have that noise in the background so that he would be distracted. And she wanted to keep Chris as calm as possible, trying to get her son to a safe place where dad wasn't paying attention too much to him. Her priority was her son's safety, and she kept making recommendations of him making a phone call to his family's house so that, hey, you know, why don't you take the, the boy for the night, you know, while she and Chris pray over whomever he was trying to pray for. Looks like the son had gone to bed at this point, though, and finally had fallen asleep. However, it looks like he decided to take her to the bedroom after he dragged her around the house for a couple of hours. And he did, in fact, drug her and talk to her about how he wasn't a bad guy and he was just misunderstood. And he said he hated her and he hated everything about her. He called her a whore. He spit on her. He just did unimaginable things. She shows me she knew that this man wasn't him, but she just didn't want him to do anything bad. So she would listen and she would try to pray that this manic episode would go away. When he asked her to agree, she did. And then he started to get aggressive. She doesn't show me how he did it to her. All she shows me is that she was having her arms pulled and stretched and he was calling her a liar and a cheater and she was having sex with somebody else. She said it was someone they both knew in wrestling and not someone he liked very much. And that's also where his anger was directed. But in reality, it wasn't true. 
He killed her and said, I am not done yet, as he killed her. After he had killed Nancy, a few moments later, I feel like her son got out of bed again to see what the hell went on, because obviously she'd be screaming for her life. And of course, Chris seen him, and then he kind of ran back to his room because he thought he was going to get in trouble for getting out of bed. Nancy said that as soon as she died, she went there right away to her son's side and she was trying her hardest to stop this from happening in her spiritual side. And of course, she had no control. He had given him a glass of water with drugs. I feel like he was rubbing his hair over and over again and telling him to go to sleep and maybe even telling him a couple of wrestling stories for that matter. And of course, she had no control. As this drug started to slip into his system, the child fell asleep and then he gently killed him by suffocating him in this manic state. He thought that his son had the devil in him since Nancy also had the devil in her and that was the punishment basically to kill him. Once he had killed him, I believe he walked back into the bedroom. I do feel like he made a few diary entries or did some prayers to some people. I'm not 100% sure of what happened there. He then made a phone call out. I do feel like he drank a little more and I even feel like he passed out right next to his wife. I don't even understand. I know this is definitely wild and crazy, but he was not mentally there. And he was just a walking, talking person with maybe about 15 to 20% of his brain. And I'm surprised that it even lasted that long. It's a good point. How does he feel about what he did? Well, when he woke up the next day, he had realized what happened. He had first thought someone came in and killed his family because he blacked out. He then realized he was also covered in evidence and realized that he had done this. He screamed out over and over again. I even feel like he ran into his son's room because he thought at least the son would be alive, but then he wasn't and he fell to his knees. He then went right into figuring out a way to kill himself. And he said that he also did it within like a two hour window. He shows me that he didn't even care how badly it hurt him. In fact, I feel like he was looking for methods that would hurt him. Right before he did it, he sent the text message and that was that. Are they all together? Nancy took a lot of time away from Chris and I don't blame her. Chris took a lot of time trying to figure out what the hell happened. And he did find out and he does blame himself. For not only hurting his family, but from taking the lives of innocent people that had nothing to do with this. He also blames himself for not taking care of himself properly. If he had, this definitely would not have happened. His life, at least, may have not necessarily been saved, but at least Nancy and his son. Nancy forgave him and was at least grateful that he didn't hurt his son as badly as he could have and as badly as he had hurt her. The images still haunt her and are tattooed to her memory, and it's hard to get past that. She does forgive him, and she does love him so much, but they aren't together. And they are okay with that. They do spend time together for their son, and that's all that matters. Daniel is consistently watching wrestling over and over again, and his favorite current wrestlers are the Street Profits, and he loves their magical cups. Wow, so he definitely still loves wrestling a lot, eh? Yes, he does. He wanted to become a wrestler, and Chris feels the pain of that every single day. He said that he is at peace, but he still has a lot of guilt and will continue to do so. Does he have anything else that he would like to say to his fans or anyone else? Well, he loves them all. 
but he feels like WWE made a good choice of keeping him out of the Hall of Fame and any other connection to wrestling. He said that he deserved more to be lost, if he's honest. He also hopes his fans remember that what he did was not okay, and regardless of what happened, there is no excuse. He should have taken this to the doctor and how the two of them would still be alive today. He doesn't want fans to praise him. He wants fans to praise his son and his wife. They were the true heroes in this situation. He said he wants people to focus on them. And he said that this is a serious issue within athletes and to make sure to take care of themselves. He still loves wrestling and wants everyone to know that Eddie and him are still buddy-buddy. The two of them both know they pushed themselves harder than normal. And they both know they loved it so much but didn't care of the consequences of what it would do to their bodies. Is Eddie here? <laughs> yes, he is. We have an episode with him later, but he is someone I have already read in the past. I'm sure most of you didn't know this, that Liz had Eddie's daughter comment on the video that she's done for Eddie on TikTok. Yes, and that moment really touched me. It was so cool because I got to feel part of that circle. It was just nice. And it's really cool because we are getting closer and closer to being connected to the WWE wrestlers and their families. I can feel it, babe. Oh, definitely we are. We for sure do. I always wanted to read Roman Reigns, too. I definitely know that you wanted to do that as well. Not so much now, but back then when I had seen him, I had seen how big he was going to get. And I was super right about his career. He's done something no one has been able to do, even though he's driving me crazy at the moment. Maybe one day I'll like him again. Who knows? Maybe when he has that moment when he loses his belts. And I am very okay with Drew McIntyre having those belts. I feel like something with Austin Theory will happen too. I definitely think that we should make another podcast dedicated to our own views on wrestling. Uh, right there with you. Let's make it happen one day. Well, guys, next week is a new month. And with five new episodes, we will also be starting our season two of our podcast. And we will be kicking it off with Maddie McCann. Liz started working on this case a little bit over a year ago but wasn't able to get it finished and now we are finally able to get it done absolutely remember guys the maddie mccann episode will be on the exclusive side which means you have to be part of the patrons absolutely thank you to liz thank you chris thank you nancy and also my favorite eddie you are so very welcome until next time guys stay freaked out Thank <laughs> you.